How about that, huh? That Nate is something. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, we appreciate you being there. Hey, if this is your first time to come out, we appreciate you doing that. We realize that's kind of a big step, but we're grateful for it. So July 1999, John F. Kennedy's flying a plane. He chooses not to take his instructor with him. He has his wife and he has his sister-in-law and he crashes the plane in the Atlantic Ocean and they all die. Didn't have an instructor there to give him direction. The next day, uh, the Chicago Tribune writes, has an article written by Stephen Hedges, an amateur pilot, who talks about flying in, um, in fog or at night. He said, you absolutely have to rely on your instruments. He said, you look away from your instruments, you can go into an uncontrollable bank. Taking directions from your instruments is not an option when you're flying at night or in the fog. I share that sometimes, maybe more times than we like, life can feel like we're flying in the fog. <laughs> we're flying at night. The good news is there's a God who makes direction known. He doesn't hide it from us. It's available to us. Will we seek it? Will we follow it? I want to think about that this morning. If you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're going to go through this uh, chapter. We're going to ask this question. What happens when we don't follow God's direction? What happens when we don't follow God's direction? Now, if you haven't been with us, a quick overview. We've been in the book of 1 Samuel a while. We'll go through 2 Samuel. This is the Israel going from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. They really wanted a king. The people did because they thought that would give them security. God said, I think that's a bad idea. They kept pressing for it. And God said, okay. So you can know that it's me that you need. You can have your king. The first king was anointed. His name was Saul. He didn't do very well. Uh, Saul was told that um, your king's not absolute. Your authority's not absolute. Your, your authority exists under me. Saul missed that memo. Uh, on two different occasions, he disregarded God. And God said, I'm moving on. And he chose David. I don't know that Saul knew that David had been anointed king, but, but he saw Saul, uh, David's popularity rising and he became very threatened by it. And so this set off this chase. Saul had been trying to end David's life. And, and David has been learning and growing through this. And it's been a while since we've been in 1 Samuel. But let me remind you in chapters 24 and 26, David showed great faith. He had Saul dead to rights. He had people with him saying in his army, just run the spear through. And we can be done with this fool chase. We can settle down. And, and David said, I can't do it. God will decide when Saul will be taken. I, I can trust he can take him out in one of many ways. That was great faith on David's part. I'm going to wait on God, even though he's right here. And I have him unknowingly, him not knowing dead rights. That's our backdrop as we start 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. It says, then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Based on that, there's nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in the all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. Like that... David has gone from, God's going to sustain me. I believe that so much so that I'm not going to take Saul out that one day I'm going to die. So I better leave. 
and go where Saul can't get me to the enemy. In a moment, David goes from great faith to no faith. I believe God's going to sustain me, so I'm not going to take Saul's life. I don't think he can, so I'm going to go live with the Philistines. What happened? What happened? How do you go from great faith to no faith like that? Faith leaks. Faith escapes. There's a lesson there for you and for me. If we're people of faith today, fantastic. But don't assume your faith today is going to carry you to tomorrow. We've got to be intentional about nourishing, about sustaining our faith. We talk about being in God's word. We talk about being in community. Why? Because this happens. I'm trusting God. I believe God. And then I, I got to no. We need to be intentional about maintaining our faith. David's not. He makes a decision in fear, in doubt. And here's the decision, verse 2. So David arose <laughs> and crossed over. He and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Let me tell you what's not mentioned here. Two things. One, David's seeking the Lord. We won't turn back there, but in 1 Samuel 23, a city was under attack, and David asked God two times, should I go and attack that city? Yeah, he was seeking God. Later, he's in the city, he beats off the enemy, and he gets Abiathar, the priest, and say, hey, man, we need to seek God to see if these people are going to turn me over. Yeah, they are. You need to get out of the city. David is connecting with God, and he's in community trying to discern God's will. We don't see any of that here. This is a decision made on his own. And we'll see how the decision plays out. Verse 3. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household. Remember, there's 600 soldiers with him. And even David with his two wives, Ahinam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. Now it was told, verse 4, Saul, that David had fled to Gath. So he no longer searched for him. Man, this decision looking good, isn't it? You mean being chased around? And you get out of there and, 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 and the chase is off? Good decision. Hang on. We'll see. But we got another confirmation about the decision, verse 5 and 6. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me <coughs> a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? Again, I got 600 men and their families with me. I'm going to be a drain. Give me your own city. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Not only is the chase off, but he's got his own city. I mean, if that isn't confirmation, I don't know what is. So it's looking good. Wasn't made in faith, but looking good so far. Verse 7 just tells us how long. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So my senior year in college, first year in graduate school, I went to a church that had a Sunday school class. And the man that was teaching the class was teaching through the book of First and Second Samuel. This is 40-ish years ago. And remember when he got to this chapter, he made this statement. We have control over our choices 
but we do not have control over the consequence of those choices. 40 plus years, I still remember, we have control over our choices, but not the consequence of our choices. David made a choice in doubt. He, he had control over that. Doesn't have control over the consequences. So far, the consequences look good. But there's more to play out. Here we go. Verse 8. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For they were inhabitants of the land from ancient times as you come to shore, even as far as the land of Egypt. So before Israel entered the promised land, God said, hey, 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 just so you know, you're not getting this promised land because you're righteous. You're getting it because the people are sinful. And you're going to be my element of judgment. Their sin has reached a point. I'm going to judge them. And so he said to the people of Israel, when you went in, you need to take out all the inhabitants. Take them out. Well, they didn't do it. So these are some of the people that are left over. My opinion is, God never sanctions this. He allows it. But it exposes David and his decision. Let's follow up. Now David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive. And he took away the sheep, the cattle, and the donkeys, and the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. My guess is he's giving him some of the spoils of the battle. Now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of the Jeremelites, and against the Negev of the Kenites. What's important there is he's telling Achish that I'm raiding the people of Israel. But that's a lie. What he says in verse 10 and what's reported in verse 8 are two different things. But David's got to make sure he covers that lie. So verse 11, then David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they will tell about us, saying, so has, so has David done, and so has been his practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. He says he's attacking this area over here, but in reality he's getting this area over here, and he needs to take everybody out, lest they come to Achish and say, hey, 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 did you hear? What's David's end goal? Verse 12. So Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious among his people, Israel. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. David, you're lying. And you're wiping out people. So your lie doesn't get exposed. Why? Because you want to win favor. With this foreign king. Let me ask again. How's that decision looking? Remember? Saul stopped chasing him. He got his own city. Man, looking good. Now? Not so much. David's compromising his faith. He's lying. And he's killing to cover it. But we're not done. Chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against who? Israel. And Achish said to David, know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. You're going to go out where? Into battle 
Against who? Israel. You're now lined up to fight against God's anointed people. How's the decision looking? We have control of our choices, but not the consequences. David's very ambiguous in his response to Achish, verse 2. Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Control over choices, but not consequences. Decision looked good early, but you know, we were kind of flying in the fog. Early on, the decision looked good. Now, not so much. So let, let me up the ante on this. We will find out in 1 Samuel 31 that Saul and his sons die in this battle. So David is now arrayed. Remember, remember he wouldn't raise a hand against God's anointing, not against Saul. But now he's in battle formation against Israel in the battle that will end Saul's life and end Jonathan's life. How's that decision looking? Well, Andy, how's this play out? Well, you'll have to come back in two weeks. <laughs> we'll figure it out then. Verse, next week we'll talk about, we'll focus solely on Saul. He's not doing well at all. And in two weeks we'll see how this plays out. Control of our choices, but not over the consequences. See, we started by uh, asking a question. What happens when we don't follow? Maybe we don't seek. We, we put off whatever. God's direction. Here's the deal. Not following God's direction will lead us into compromising circumstances. You don't follow God's direction. It will lead you. It will lead me into compromising circumstances. Where was this principle apply? Everywhere. Everywhere. If you're beginning to date, I would beg you to date someone who values and who makes Jesus the priority that you have. Because if not, you're going to be forced into a situation where you're going to have to break up or you're going to marry somebody who does You're unequally yoked. If you're seeking a job, I would look hard. Does this job allow you to live out biblical values? Like working a reasonable amount of hour doesn't push you on integrity. If you're thinking of joining a fraternity or a sorority, I'd look hard at what kind of community, what kind of support are you going to have in there? And as attractive as it might be that you have this group of friends and you have this group of people, If there's not biblical checks in place, you're going to be put in compromising circumstances. Every decision, the bigger the decision, the more we need to say, are we making it in faith? Are we making this under the influence, under the authority of God's direction? And underneath this points to a bigger issue. Where do we give our ultimate allegiance? Many would say, David is Israel's greatest king. I would agree. 
And David's done some great things, showed some great faith. He'll take Israel to the heights, but he's a deeply flawed human being. Do not give your ultimate allegiance to a person. Oh, Andy, I'm married. I mean, I love my spouse and I'm committed to my spouse. Absolutely, absolutely. Love them and be committed to them. But be realistic. That man or woman's flawed. And he or she will disappoint you. The fact that we're ultimate allegiance to Jesus takes pressure off that relationship. And we can live with the disappointment. Well, but Andy, you don't understand. My parents are this and that, and they're, yeah. And yeah, honor your parents, submit to them. But don't give me your ultimate allegiance. They'll disappoint you. They're flawed. Two years ago, I'd go out with the boys. I was with one of my sons. He's in middle school. And I said, son, I've never done this parent thing. I've read a few books, watched a few videos, talked to a few people, but I'm fairly clueless, and I'm one of the major two decision makers in your life until you're 18 years old. If that doesn't give you a reason to trust God, I, I don't know what will. <laughs> to which he said, Dad, I'll give you a B plus. Nah, B plus, and I'll take it. You must be given extra credit. <laughs> you got a friend, a roommate, that's in your life, fantastic. Enjoy that friend, enjoy that roommate. But don't put your ultimate trust in them. Well, how about a pastor or a spiritual leader? Yeah, go ahead, put your ultimate trust. No, 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 never. So let me circle back to the Sunday school class. Okay, I'm still remembering things he taught 40 years ago. So I graduate, I go on staff with Campus Crusade, I'm three years in, we're at our national meetings and all the students from, all the staff that graduated from A&M are together one night and, and we're having a powwow chit-chat, what's going on? And so I get with, the um, guy was my campus director when I was there and I said, well, what about, what about, what about? And I get to this guy, well, well what about Flip? Andy, you didn't hear? Mm -mm. Flip got divorced. Oh, wife was in the Sunday school class. He talked about the two sons. I would say, I would list this guy in one of the, when I think of people for me in my faith, he's one of the top 10 guys. That did. He opened the Old Testament to me. I still remember, what's my point? People are flawed. Out of curiosity, I Googled him this week as I was preparing for this message. He's killing it, as far as I can tell, a website. God's doing a great work on, through him in, in mental health and education and and that's great. God's, God's continuing to work, but he's flawed. Like you and like me. And that's why only Jesus is worthy of our ultimate trust. And I would argue rather than hindering us in relationship, that frees us up in relationship because we can be realistic about our spouse, our roommate, our friend, our parents, our kids. Jesus is worthy of our trust. So a couple thoughts. If you're a person living of faith today, that's great. But don't assume that will carry you tomorrow. Be intentional today about nurturing your faith, about feeding your faith. At least in a couple ways, by being in God's word regularly, and by being involved in significant community, where you have people encouraging you in your faith.
Second is you make decisions. And the bigger the decision, the more I would hold true. Make sure you're making the decision with biblical principles in mind. And make sure you're doing it with trusted friends because we can all fool ourselves. We can all read our biases and our intentions and desires out. We can twist the word of God to make it say what we want. And sometimes we need somebody to say, no, 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 I don't think that's saying that. You need to rethink that. I'm a pastor, and I've seen all kinds of crazy overbeers over the years of people who've twisted that. And yeah, No, 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 you're, you're missing some bigger principles here in the Bible. And if you're saying, man, I, I don't want, I don't want to really be in the Word of God. I don't, I don't really, you know, those Christians are judgmental, they're this and that. That probably ought to be a red light for you. That ought to be a warning light. You're about to make a bad decision. I think you know it's not good, and you don't want somebody or some word of God or some principle to tell you otherwise. Remember, we have control over choices, but we don't have control over the consequences of those choices. We need God's direction. So as a student at A&M, our football team was quite average. I went to the games, though. Though the football team might not have been good, the band was outstanding. They were a military band and uh, precision, and they would just split up on four ends of the field. They'd bring it on. You think, how are they going to do this? And they, they'd work it out. So it's my first year in graduate school. We are playing at Rice. I didn't go to the game. I went to visit my brother, who was a med student at the medical center, which is right next to Rice and Rice Stadium. And we're out for pizza in the evening, and people start trickling in from the game, and no one's talking about the result of the game. They're talking about the Aggie band. They messed up. They fell into chaos so much so that they finally blew three whistles, and the three whistles is we all just run off the field. It was a disaster. Back up to school the night in church the next morning, the buzz was, did you hear about the Aggie band? So Monday, I've got a nine o'clock class, and the guy that sits next to me was in the band four years, and he was a section leader, he was in it, so I thought, he will have the scoop. He will know. So I get there about five to nine. And I go, man, what happened? And he said, Andy, we count on whistles for direction, for cues. You get a whistle and you're going to do this and you turn and you, and you just have that down. Well, some Rice students were in the audience and they were blowing whistles. So these guys thought they were getting direction from their leader, and it was from somebody else, and they turned and they did this, and it was absolute chaos. It wasn't their fault. They were played a trick on, but there's a lesson there. The world's going to give you all kind of direction. Going to give you all kind of principles on making decisions. The good news is there won't be confusion. God makes his will and his voice clear. We need to seek that out. We need to hear that. Lest we end up in chaos. Like the Aggie band. On that day. What happens when we don't follow God's direction? We'll end up in compromising circumstances. It's inevitable. The good news is we have one who's worthy of our complete trust. His goodness is running after us. If we seek him. He'll lead us follow him into an abundant life.
Would you pray with me, our Father in heaven? <clears throat> We're grateful for the honesty of your word. And uh, Israel's greatest king showed himself to be a very flawed human being. Thank you that that reminds us that where we need to be is uh, complete allegiance to Jesus, seeking his direction. Father, I thank you that you've given us a community of people to, to walk with us and to help us. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be people who presume that our faith today means we'll be people of faith tomorrow. We'd we'll be intentional about nourishing that faith, developing that faith, feeding that faith. That tomorrow when we make a decision, we'll seek you and we'll seek the counsel of your community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.